started a project last Sunday when we honored our dead with an altar for photographs and flowers and personal items and candles. We joined a host of cultures and traditions marking this end of the growing season, the harvest season, expressing gratitude for ancestors. The end is a beginning. The waning light alters our mood and invites us to spend hours in a completely different fashion than we had during the long, warm summer days, although today's tricking us. What we started last Sunday is a prolonged gaze at death and dying that will continue through November. And I promise the journey together won't be morbid. Rather, it'll be a time for us to dwell in life, like the ancient Celts who consider the end of harvest the new year, taking stock of all they need to set aside for the winter. We are taking stock of what it means to be mortal. What are the essential values we we must glean from life since the distance to its end is a known but a certainty? The word human has a telling etymology. Human, humane, humility, humus dust to dust the mortar of mortality binds us fast to one another all true meaning is shared meaning so for this series on death and change I turn to two unrelated sources of wisdom thousands of years apart one text is very contemporary the book the five secrets you must discover before you die it's a project from, Arthur, from author John Izzo. He put a call out for anyone to give him the name of one person who had lived a long life and who believed they had discovered happiness and meaning. And he asked over 15,000 people this question, and he narrowed his list to 400 And then he ultimately identified 200, 235, between the ages of 60 and 106. And after thousands of hours of interviews, he found common threads in in their stories. And then he distilled them into five broad categories that Izzo refers to as the five secrets we must discover before we die. And I bristle at the term secret and the sensational title. But I'm willing to back down and absorb the collective wisdom of his elders, of their hard-won ability to discern what matters and what doesn't. And their urgency comes from an intimacy with mortality, a shortened path. That urgency is ours too. At whatever age we find ourselves, death is nearby, human, humus. When grandparents, parents, even children died at home, 
Death was an inescapable presence in our lives. Today, shielded from intimacy with death by the cold, mechanically invasive and antiseptic chambers of hospitals, we lose touch with how natural, even sacramental, death can be. If we insulate ourselves from death, we lose something precious, a sense of life that knows death, that elevates human to humane, that reconciles human being with human loss. So today, we dive right into the middle of Izzo's list. We'll get to all five in November, but the third secret is becoming love. Become love. Like the word secret, it sounds trite. Become love. May seem warm, but if it were easy or automatic, it wouldn't be on the list. One of the wise elders that he interviewed, David, now in his 70s, tells a story about his father dying. The family had gathered from many parts of the world to share David's father's final days. David noticed that during those last days, his father did not talk about the possessions he had owned. He'd had no mention of cars, houses, or anything that he had acquired during his lifetime. Rather, he surrounded himself with photos of special times in his life, his wedding pictures, births, family trips, times with friends. Watching his father die, David said, at the end of our lives, when we only have a short time left, love is really what we care about. So for many years, David carried this image of his father with him, an image that has guided him and how he lives his life now. And when I'm talking about love, I don't mean love. I'm talking about love as a choice. To become love is to make a decision, to reach out lovingly to others. We confuse love with feelings, and our feelings of love and anger and disgust and despair and joy, whew, they are all so transient. They come and go. They're useful data points but not the only data points in our day. Become love embodies a philosophical stance, a determination to approach each fellow human, each living creature, each worldly object with curiosity, not prejudgment, with an understanding that you have a connection because you share space on this planet, in this cosmos. You make a choice to act in love, to become love. Abdullah, 87, had grown up as a Muslim in India and lived through the partition in 1948 when Pakistan became a separate nation. And although he later emigrated to Canada, his childhood memories were vivid. He says, as a young boy, we had Muslim and Hindu friends. But a time came when there was a great 
deal of violence between the Muslims and the Hindus in my village. And a Hindu boy had been killed by Muslims. And some Hindus came looking for revenge. They tried to take me, but an elderly Hindu man stood between me and them. Of course, I was only a boy. So the memories are faint. But I remember his strong arm on my shoulder. He stood his ground and made clear they would have to kill him to get to me. Love is a difficult word to define, but all my life, this man's love has defined love for me. He was old. Perhaps he'd seen violence and hatred all of his life. Maybe he'd simply had enough. But I always like to think he was sent to me by the prophet Muhammad to teach me the meaning of love. It is written in the Quran, do not consider any act of kindness insignificant, even meeting your brother with a cheerful face. Happiness comes from knowing that kindness is never without meaning. Kindness saved my life. I can imagine that sensory input, that imprint, that feeling that Abdullah carries with him as a reminder of experiencing love and that memory, that muscle memory, that sensory memory becomes a prompt for him to return the favor and become love in his own lifetime. I suspect each of you, if you thought about it, might have a person or a moment when kindness saved your life, when someone's expression of love changed the course of yours. So then permit me to add a layer to our discussion this morning. Become love. That's the big lesson. You can sleep now or you can listen while I say that the spiritual theme for November is hospitality. So I ask us to consider, well, how does hospitality have anything to do with death? And I think they belong right smack dab together. They inform each other in a profound way. They do. They sound contradictory or unrelated, but they're intimately entwined. Not just death, but all its related forms of loss and change are right at the core of hospitality. When dying comes calling at the door like a bracing wind, it clears out our being petty. It connects us to others, more alert to life's fragility. We we reawaken to life's preciousness. To be fully human is to care and attending to death prompts the most eloquent form of caring imaginable. So let's talk about hospitality as the willingness to bring someone into your community, your home, your circle of friends, or here at church. This hospitality is a form of becoming love. We take risks because we know we can never know. We could never know what gifts or experiences this person brings. 
Most importantly, we never know how we will be changed. This uncertainty is the place where hospitality and death intersect. Like here at Hope. Because we allow anyone to cross our threshold, each one of us is transformed in some way. Every person that walks through there makes us a new church. Each Sunday. Every new visitor every regular who may not come always, and each one of us, when we cross that doorway, we bring our ever slightly newer, different version of ourselves. In a sense, we're all strangers in need of hospitality. We're all depend, we depend on others to become love and welcome us back into community every single Sunday. And I've heard countless stories. I've heard countless stories from each of you of being welcomed into Hope Church. Someone laid their hand on your shoulder saying just the right thing. Someone listened with full attention to your story. Someone simply made space for you, acknowledging your full humanity, flaws and all, human, humus. When we think about hospitality, we tend to focus on the stranger. What do they need? What will make them feel welcome? These are, these are important questions, vital questions, but they're only one side of the hospitality equation. The other side is us. We forget the work of hospitality is often work we must do on ourselves. Every encounter, every stranger brings something different to each of us. We are changed by hospitality. So true hospitality demands that we peel back our layers of self-protection, uncover our fears. When we look closely enough, We sometimes find fear of change, fear of the unknown, what lies ahead, fear of risk, and fear of being vulnerable to others. So being hospitable to change is the training ground for being hospitable to mortality, to our inevitable death, to that unavoidable, uncontrollable change we will all encounter. So my request is that you consider each moment of your day a moment of hospitality to consider becoming love in that moment. Being hospitable to the inevitable change that's coming to the change that this person in front of you and the story they're telling you may bring and that we not fear that change. May it be so.